listening to Inside Healthy Teens by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. So welcome, everyone. Welcome to our webinar, uh, courtesy of Apricot Consulting, in partnership with our four amazing panellists today and, of course, Elmo, who we work closely with on a number of um, number of partnerships and we love to do webinars with as well. So we're really, really pleased to have you here today. I'm Lana Johnson. I'm part of the Apricot Consulting team. I'm the, I'm the head of organisational health, learning and development, leadership development. And I've joined the team just recently. It's a pleasure to be here as part of the team and we genuinely, genuinely care about actually making the world a better place through the work that we do and we do that um, both through our um, uh, corporate social procurement but also through the organisational development work we do with some incredible clients so really glad to be here as part of the team. Uh, on the topic of succession planning in 2021 and we're going to explore what succession planning looks like beyond 2021 as well so I'm really excited about this topic. Um, really, really pleased. Thank you so much to our panellists um, for coming along and, and taking an hour and a half out of their day to share their experiences with all of us so that we can learn from that because uh, if any of you are aware that um, there is a great resignation that's happening at the moment and multiple studies that I've looked at and Joel just gave me another one from Elmo's own research is that more 40% or more of people who are in the workforce are actually looking to switch jobs at the moment. So if you don't think succession planning should be top of your agenda and in your strategy and part of what you need to put time and resources into, please think again and consider it seriously because it really is a fantastic strategy for keeping your, particularly your high performers, those that are keen to continue to develop and grow in your business, keeping them engaged in your business. Um, and as Joel will share, you know, it is the question that's coming up even at interview stage today, which isn't, you know, that hasn't been what we've experienced in the past. You know, people are asking before they even come and get take the job is will my career be, be looked after? What are the opportunities available to me? So they're really looking for evidence that organisations are putting this first in terms of the employee experience but there's evidence that it's actually happening for them, for the career choices that they want to make. So let me introduce Matt. It's a pleasure to have you here. With um, you know, Matt brings with him 30 years of umpiring. Um, Matt is a field umpire with the uh, a AFL Umpires Association. Let me make sure I get that right. Um, and what I what struck me about you, Matt, is that you're the kind of person that to be one of 34 only, 34 only field umpires in AFL, you've really got to be the kind of person that wants to be, you know, best in class, top of your game, and holding that for that many years is really extraordinary. Um, so what will be interesting to hear from your ex experience is how do you retain someone like that in an organisation? And I'm sure that will come through as we talk later on. So, Matt, welcome. Great to have you here today. Thanks, Lana. Really fantastic. Uh, one thing I learned through our discussions is that when you're an AFL field umpire, you often will run 14 kilometres um, when you're umpiring a match. And uh, that, you know, that's a stretch for most of us, including me. And it's 
you know, it's not just a, a jog in the park and a bit of a stroll. There's a whole lot of sprinting going on. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's quite remarkable and something I'm sure you've had to maintain over time, even between seasons, which is incredible. So to someone who, you know, has been quite ambitious and uh, really, str- you know, strive throughout your career to be top of your game and really to be one of only 34 people who do what you do here in AFL Australia. That's amazing. Let's hear a little bit from you about about Matt. Who is Matt? Well, that 14 kilometres is getting more and more of a stretch for me, I can tell you, um, as I get a little bit older. But a little bit about me. So I started umpiring, as you said, 30 years ago um, as a 14-year-old as a in the what was then called the Diamond Valley Football League and uh, certainly didn't at the time think that 30 years later I'd still be doing it. Um, I've spent 19 years at the AFL level, uh, 380 games I think it is, so I'm pretty proud of that. You can probably see a couple of pictures in the background if I just sort of shift that way. There's a couple of little uh, mementos from grand finals that I've been lucky enough to umpire over the years. Um and I've loved doing that job. It's um, it's incredibly challenging. It has um, some some fantastic benefits. And yeah, I did umpire the two two of the Hawthorne premierships. Thanks, James. Um, it's got some um, fan- fantastic rewards. Uh, it's got some unique challenges, but it's something I love doing. And um, parallel to that, I suppose, like like all of my colleagues, you run a uh, another career outside of umpiring. So for me, I've had a couple of different ones. I worked in different HR roles for for quite a few years um, in state government. I did my degree, you'll be pleased to know, Phil at Monash Uni many years ago um, in uh, majoring in human resource management. For the last sort of 10 or 12 years, I've been a facilitator with a company that many of you would be familiar with, DDI, working with um, a lot of their frontline leader programs. And and this year, I took the plunge to go back to university to study secondary teaching. So that's been an interesting change of pace. Sorry, Phil, this one's not at Monash. Um, It's been an interesting change of pace, but it's been one that that I've enjoyed. Terrific. Thank you. And I'm sure that Phil will be calling you directly after this webinar to get you to switch schools and uh, come and join him at Monash. <laughs> if, he's, if he's happy to offer me a scholarship, I'm there. So. <laughs> well, watch this space. We'll see if we can organise. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent choice, Matt, says Phil, when you were talking about your um, Monash. That's good. There's always room for good people at Monash, says Phil. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> that's great. So, so you're that's an interesting again there's something unique about each of the industries I've spoken to today and for you you know field umpires or umpires in general they really are relying on that year-to-year contract it's not even a permanent role there's no guarantee Mm. so attracting retaining and developing that skill and capability must be quite a challenge so what's worked for you I mean you've been there 19 years 20 years next year you'll be celebrating with the AFL what is it that's kept you there that could be a lesson for other leaders, other organisations in terms of how to pick or retain, you know, your best your best talent? Well, I think there's a couple of things that have kept me there. Like I love the challenge of it and there's, there's no doubt that I'm challenged by it every week. Um, I love the people that I get to do it with. I think that's uh, one of the key things that's kept me in it for so long. But I think if I sort of wind the clock back to when I was coming through, 
for us and the, the era that I came through, the State League group with, there was a, a real strong sense of um, competition between us, but healthy competition. We, we really pushed each other to to be the best that we could possibly be. And um, as, a, as a consequence, quite a number of those guys that, that came through at the same time are still umpiring AFL level, you know, 18, 19, 20 years later. So I was really lucky to come through at that time. I was lucky to have a coach um, for the first 12 or so years of my career who, whilst we butted heads quite a bit, um, the penny finally dropped what he was trying to do for me. And once the penny dropped, um, it made life so much easier for me. We were, we were able to get onto the same page and and my career really took a, a quantum leap from that point on. So um, I, I feel like I've been really fortunate along the way and I've been able to adapt to the game as it's changed as well, which is uh, something that I suppose everyone's doing in different roles at the moment. And, and the AFL is no different. The game has changed dramatically in the 20 years since I've been involved and the rules have changed and we've had to adapt with that. And those who have been able to adapt are the ones who've been able to maintain their longevity in the game. So, Matt, what I'm what I'm actually taking away from what you're saying is that actually succession planning isn't always just about the coaching conversation or the career path or the training that you give. It actually has a huge amount to do with the culture that you create that like you said, we were collegial, but we were competitive. So we were always working to get the best out of each other. Yeah. You know, how do you take that and implement that in other organisations? You know, what is the key to achieving that culture that actually creates such an environment that those that want to keep striving to perform well actually stay with you? I think, um, well, one of the things that, that we've probably looked at more over the years is a more concerted um recruitment process into the AFL. So we've got more clearly articulated competencies, which we're measured against each week. And so are the people in our talent pipeline or accelerator list, as as we call them. And there's a defined list of of competencies that come with that. But one thing that's probably looked at a little bit more informally is the cultural fit of the person. And so there's much more weight, I think, now put to how that person will effectively integrate into the culture of our group to ultimately give them the best chance of being successful. And so we look closely at um, who's coming in, what we need to do to support and develop them to make them successful. And then, um, you know, we're we're unique in that we don't win on the weekend. Um, In fact, we lose lose every weekend. Um, You've only got to pick up the newspaper or turn on the TV or listen to the radio to know that we lose every weekend. So um, we do have a very um, collegiate group and a very supportive group. And whilst there's um, a critical element of, of it being a, a performance role that we're absolutely in, um, we support each other to, to perform really well on the weekend. And we have a very uh, team-focused philosophy when we go out there. And I think that's something that absolutely can be transferred into any industry. That's amazing. So taking what I heard from the last um, two panellists, Ros and Phil and you, succession planning starts way back with what's our strategy and what do we need to achieve that? And then it's who are we looking for and be really clear about what we want to bring into the organisation so that through the recruitment process you're attracting, screening in the right people and then it's their experience through their, basically the employee experience through their life cycle with you. Um, 
so that's interesting because that really broadens our view of what succession planning is and where does it start. Mm. I love that. You said one thing. You said, uh, you know, I had a struggle with a coach once and it wasn't until I understood what he was doing that it became so much easier. What does that say about how we need to be either opened or closed, intentional or vague around succession planning and what we're doing with a person to help get the best from them? Well, in the case of this particular coach, we were both pretty um, strong-willed and stubborn and neither of us wanted to give. And um, I'm learning more about you by every minute, Matt, every minute. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, it just reached a a bit of a crescendo where um, we had the opportunity to sit down and just flesh it out. And I think that was the best thing. It it taught me a lot about um, not waiting for someone to come to me. If I've got a question go to them. I had this mistaken philosophy that, well, if he's my coach, he should come to me. But what I learned from that was, well, he's my coach, so I should go to him. And I mean, he should still come to me as well, of course, but it has to be a two-way street. And once we established that and um, broke bread, because that was what it required at the time, um, we had a, a much more transparent dialogue and we were able to communicate on a much more equal level, and I think that that I think he learned a lot through that process. In fact, I know he did because when we now play golf together, we talk about it quite a bit, and um, I certainly learned a lot through it as well. So uh, I'm very much of the view that um, having those open, on honest, transparent conversations, regardless of who initiates them, are so important in terms of just building that relationship, and that's ultimately at the heart of. Um, wanting to stay in an organisation, wanting to devote your time to your work, wanting to develop yourself and wanting to prepare yourself for potential future roles in that organisation. That's fantastic. And I just want to understand a little bit further about transparency. When you say transparency, do you mean transparency in terms of having open, candid feedback or transparency about where you are in terms of the view from a succession point of view and career opportunities for you? Or is it both of those things? It was both of those things for me. So, and and one of those in particular was me expecting to be delisted at the end of one year, and and him being very transparent, if you want to use that term, candid with me about where I sat, yeah. and that was a, a significant motivation for me to turn things around. Fantastic. Had he not been honest, I, I probably wouldn't have, um, you know, really uh, invested myself in wanting to be better. Yeah, and it takes courage, right? Courage for you to be open to what what the, your coach or your manager has to say and courage from Absolutely. the coach or the manager to really say it how they see it and Absolutely. give you every opportunity to see it as it is yeah. and, and succeed. So that's terrific. So thinking ahead and what good looks like going forward both in AFL but also outside of AFL, what really needs to be there or needs to be um, part of how we do do succession planning going forward? And maybe it's from your own experience at AFL, you know, what what do you see as the opportunities there Um, and perhaps more broadly? I think I'll address this by talking about one of the challenges that we've got, and that is that all the people in our talent pipeline at the moment have been uh, basically they're employed to umpire in the state leagues the state leagues have been dormant for the last two years because of COVID. And so all of our talent has also been dormant. So for us to be successful with our, with our succession planning, ultimately we need to get those people back out on the park practising their craft and get them back up to speed so that when 
the time comes, they can integrate back in and that gives us an opportunity also to reassess them against those competencies. So making sure that, that they're out there and practising is something that's really important. Um, and I think one other thing that I learned many years ago doing a, a success profiling activity as a part of my job at DDI was going into a group of salespeople and having a, a leader of that group having a very clear picture in his mind of who he thought was the ideal salesman or saleswoman, um, salesperson, um, and going through that um, success profiling activity was a real light bulb moment for him and it shifted his thinking quite dramatically on it. So um, I think understanding that goalposts are going to move, that you need to be um, uh, willing to accept that there might be a different opinion as to what the ideal person is or what the ideal person is that you might need um, is, is going to give you the best chance of being successful with um, having people prepared to, to step into roles when they come up. Fantastic. I look forward to staying in touch with you about how you overcome that challenge. And uh, I'm sure, you know, it's come up a couple of times, COVID has presented different challenges in different industries, but for you it's almost like, a, you know, mm. we've just put a stop on all development yeah. of our pipeline, which is quite massive. And it's going to require some innovation and creative thinking about how you quickly accelerate people through that experience and do some catch-up, but also, you know, where else can, can that talent come from or develop from? Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Matt. No worries. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.